Son, Jesus. And God, and because of your spirit, Lord, God, we are being shaped and molded to be made more and more like you so that you might be glorified. God, thank you that you are God. And thank you that we are not, Father. Lord, thank you that you rule and that you reign, but that you do not leave us void or unattended, but God, you are with us. And God, that you are near and that you are real and that you are true. Lord Jesus, we love you and we glorify you this morning. In your holy name we pray, amen. You may be seated. And children, if you have been signed in, you are dismissed to head downstairs to junior church. I think I've preached in a suit coat for a while. I'm not prepared to start today. It's too warm. I'm not ready for summer to go away either, but I think it might be. Um, we are in a series titled Shepherds of the Flock, and this is a little bit different than what we normally do. Uh, normally, as we come during this time, <clears throat> we do what we call expositional preaching, and we go through book, uh, a book of the Bible, and we will go text uh, verse by verse, passage by passage, so that we understand the context of the book and the context of each passage that we rightly interpret it. Um, we're not doing that in this series. Uh, what we're doing is we're looking at elders and uh, the position of elders and what God's Word talks about uh, that position and kind of a broad scope. So last week we were in Acts chapter 20 and we saw that Paul said uh, that there is going to be dangers that come to the church. There will be wolves who try to sneak in and therefore elders were appointed as shepherds in order to care for the church, feed the church, and protect the church. And so what we're doing as we're going through, uh, we're just going to be looking at uh, various passages in more of a topical way, but still as we do so, we're going to try to make sure we understand the context of each passage that we do rightly interpret. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3 today. If you don't, we have Bibles in front of you, and if you don't have a Bible, please let that Bible be your Bible um, Timothy is the pastor at Ephesus. So last, last week, we're looking. Um, Paul's talking to the elders at Ephesus, warning them about the danger. This week, he's talking to the pastor at Ephesus, a man whom he has discipled. And in chapter 1, we see that Paul is urging Timothy to appoint elders so that there would not be any false doctrine preached. At the end of chapter 1, we see that there has been a problem, about, a problem with this in the past. <clears throat> In fact, um, in chapter or verse 20 of chapter 1, uh, Paul threw out two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander, because they were blaspheming the name of Jesus. And so uh, Timothy is being urged to appoint godly leaders. Therefore, our text today is going to look at what it is to be a godly leader and the importance that godly leaders will help lead the church to godliness, just as ungodly leaders will promote ungodliness within a church. And so... Um, a couple things as we begin uh, and we look at this passage. If you are here and you're not an elder and you're looking at this, um, 
There's going to be a lot of qualifications we're going to see. Um, I don't want you to look at this as an unattainable goal. Paul didn't say, hey, we just kind of shoot for this. I know none of you will actually be good enough to make this, but just kind of get close to this. Um, That's not how Paul is writing. He says these are the qualifications. These are not what you become as an elder, but these are what you should look like before you become an elder. So remember, these are attainable. This is what it looks like. If you, if you have the Holy Spirit in you because you're a believer in Jesus Christ, take great comfort. He's already developing these things in you. That's what his word does. That's what the Spirit does in you. Uh, women, I want to encourage you, uh, be praying for your husbands, pray for your sons, pray for the men in the church that they would aspire and grow to be like this list that we see today. <coughs> men, as you go through the text, um, I want to encourage you to be praying that if there's any areas in your life, maybe areas of sin or areas that you see do not uh, coincide with what we're going to look at today, I ask that you pray, God, just convict me as we go through this. But also, um, I think sometimes we always um, focus on the conviction part, but it's good to also pray, God, if there's areas that I'm doing well here, point those out to me. Let me be encouraged by your word. So I pray that you're encouraged by God's word this morning, and I pray that also uh, you're convicted on areas that he's still growing you in and wanting to develop you more in. Uh, So what we're going to do is I'm going to read chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I want to encourage you to stand as we do this. We stand when we read God's word here. We do so because it is God's word. It comes with his authority. It's full. um, It comes from his spirit. It is inerrant and infallible. And so we do so as a way of honoring our heavenly father. Verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word you have revealed yourself, revealed your, care, your love for us, especially through the cross. You have revealed, um, God, how you love your, your bride, your body. And God, you have given us direction and wisdom throughout your word on, on how we are to live as your bride and how we're to be governed. And we thank you for that, that you have, in your wisdom, given us this direction that we would not try to come up with it on our own. Lord, I pray that as we go through this passage today, that you would conform us more into the image of your Son, because that's what we have here. We have a description of what it looks like to live like you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we come through here, that the men and women here would be encouraged in their faith, would be convicted, and that here, as a church, that you would grow more and more men to become elders that would lead in a godly way in our church. 
In your name, Jesus, amen. Y'all may sit. Um, first thing we see, verse 1, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Um, it's good to be an elder because being an elder is a good job. Like it's, it's a good job. You're, you're looking over the bride of Jesus, the body of Jesus. So I encourage you, men, let this encourage you. It, it's good to aspire to this, to desire to be an elder because it is a good job. And it's not a job that we're saying is good. It's a, God, it's a job that God has ordained as good. Um, Notice Paul does not use the word elder here. He uses the word overseer. This is also where some people would get the word bishop. Um, we're not going to go down a denominational distinction line today. Um, but there are some churches who will have bishops and other lines of authority. Uh, kind of more bap baptistic tradition is that uh, we have elders. Elders and bishops would be the same. The word overseer and elder is used very interchangeably. In fact, if you went to Titus chapter 1, verse 5 and 7, he will say, I'm talking to you elders, and then he will describe the role of overseers. So he's not changing uh, different topics or different people, but he is looking at one position. Elder, that word will often be used to signify the spiritual maturity. The word overseer kind of uh, looks more at the job, the overseeing the body of the church, the caring for, the watching over. So it's a little more descriptive on what the actual job is. So that's why at times there are different titles that are used. So here, as we, there has been false teachers, and Paul's saying, I want you to have people that watch over the flock in a godly way. So I'm going to give you the godly descriptions for the one who watches over, oversees the flock. Um, and so that's why the different names is used. Also, if you have questions during the sermon, please uh, text those in, and we'll answer those at the end. Um, as we come to this passage, there's going to be four sections that we're going to look at. There is the general character of an elder, the home life of an elder, the spiritual maturity of an elder, and the reputation of an elder. So that's kind of the outline that we're going to go in. Then at the end, we're just going to look at some application. So the general character of an elder... Verses 2 and 3, we have 12 characteristics listed. The first thing we notice is uh, the word above reproach. Uh, this seems to operate like an umbrella word. It's like when you send your, your child to school and you say, hey, be friendly. That's like the umbrella, be friendly to everyone you encounter. Show respect, show respect to everyone you encounter. You kind of use those as overarching words it's kind of the catch-all that's that's kind of how it operates here and what it means is that uh, we're to live a godly life and that accusations don't stick and i think really the best example of that is if we went to the old testament and looked at the story of daniel many of you know daniel daniel is taken captive into babylon where king nebuchadnezzar is there he, he moves up into basically second of command of the entire kingdom and because of his fast promotion, there's other leaders who don't like him. They're envious of him. They hate him. They want to kind of destroy his reputation. And so this is what we read, Daniel 6, verses 4 and 5. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. 
Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So they said, he's a good guy. Man, he loves others. He shares what he has. He's respectful to the king. I mean, he's a model citizen. We can't find anything wrong with him. The only, th- the only way we're going to get this guy convicted is if we make a law about his religion that he'll break. And so that, that's what they did. Um, and so that's kind of the description of an elder. We are to be above reproach. This doesn't mean that we are perfect, but it means that we desire to glorify God in all of our life, which is really, isn't that the goal of all believers? Isn't that the purpose of creation? If we go all the way back to Genesis 1, God creates man in his image, and to be in the image of God is to worship God, is to, to love what God loves, and the way we worship God is through obedience to his word. And so, as elders, as all of us, we're to be above reproach because we are being made more in the image of Jesus. And we'll look at that a little bit later. If we continue on, we also see there to be the husband of one wife. In the first century, women were not very valued. Ephesus was the same. They were not um, elevated, uh, had an elevated status. They were not looked up to necessarily. And it was very common for men to be very sexually promiscuous. In fact, here's the words of a of a first century guy. Mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure. Concubines for the daily care of our persons, but wives to bear us legitimate children. You see it? So there you go. So we have wives for children that will then inherit our stuff. But for all of our sexual pleasures, we have all these other women that will satisfy those. That's the first century thinking. That's what's happening in Ephesus. And so here, as we have Um, Paul is instructing Timothy in the church and us also. He's saying, no, an elder is one who values his wife, who loves his wife, who honors his wife. It's not necessarily talking about um, he's only been married once. Um, It's talking about, or, or it doesn't mean also that he has to be married, but that he values his wife. Next, we see the elder is, um, and we're gonna kind of list a couple of these sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. And then if you skip to verse 3, we're given four things that they're not. They're not a drunkard, not violent, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. They're kind of given all these different descriptive words, and we could look at them each one at a time, and that would be great benefit. But we can also just kind of look, and again, going back to the above reproach, they're seeking to represent Christ. They have a God, um, they're seeking to be godly in their behavior. They're... Um, when I went to Oklahoma, uh, every year growing up, my parents and grandparents had a, or my grandparents had a farm. It's where my mom grew up on, and they had horses there, and it was, it was fun to go there. I think that was my favorite thing we did every year, and I remember one year we went there, and there was this um, horse that was wild. They had just brought in. He was bucking up and down, jumping all over, kicking everything. Have you ever seen a horse like that? And like, I'm like this tall, and so my grandfather says, yeah, don't go near that, that pen right then. You stay away. And all the other horses we could go up to and we could pet, but this one we could not. But he worked with him, and I think it was then the next summer that I came, and he became like one of the calmest horses that they had. And we were able to ride him, and they kept him for like 16 years or so. We rode him all over. He was an amazing horse. I mean, just a loving horse, uh, most gentle one that you can imagine. But he's still very strong, right? He's a powerful horse, but his strength had been bridled. That's what an elder is. 
as they come to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, their attitude, their behavior, their character is bridled and forged and formed through the gospel. So it's not that um, as we read this list that we have wimpy men, which maybe sometimes uh, the world might characterize them, but they're, they're godly men, they're strong men, but they've been bridled by the gospel. They're no longer quick-tempered. They're no longer violent. But they're calm and they're gentle. They're level-headed. They're sober-minded. Not because of their strength, but because of the working of the Holy Spirit that is in them. We'll look at the ability to teach in a few moments. Uh, the next one we come to, though, is that we see that they're to be hospitable. But what is hospitality, and why is that a qualification for an elder? Hospitality is the opening, opening up of your house to believers and unbelievers. It is sharing the very things that you have been given with, with others. That's what hospitality is. It's, it's being generous with what you've been given to share with others, letting others come into your house, stay with you, uh, whatever that looks like. Why is it important? Um, for at least three reasons. Let me give three reasons. Number one, hospitality is a means of demonstrating God's love to others. As an elder, we, we know that God has given us all things through his son, Jesus Christ. He's been abundantly generous with us. He's given us eternal life, adoption into his family. We have made co-heirs with Jesus Christ. The Father has held nothing back from us, and therefore we now have the opportunity to be generous with the very things God has given us as he has been generous with us. And so it's a way to show others love by, by giving them things, by being generous with our possessions, opening up our house so people would stay with us or, or just come in and eat with us. It's a way to show love to others. Number two, hospitality enables evangelism. You, you want to know the best way to reach your neighbors? Invite them into your house. That's probably one of the best ways that you can reach them is get to know them. Invite them in your backyard. Have a barbecue. Have conversation with them. Laugh with them. Find out their stories. You do that not by walking up to them and say, hey, what's your story? I need to tell you Jesus, but by getting to know them, letting them see that you're Somewhat normal. I mean, right? We're, we're somewhat normal. Uh, we're normal people. And it's a great way to show them the love of Jesus um, just in your house. It's a great way to also show just through your lifestyle, the raising of your kids, the loving of your wife, what a godly lifestyle looks like so the unbelievers would have a picture of that. Number three, hospitality is a means of discipleship. One of the best things that we can do as, as a body of believers is share the very things that God has given us with one another. We read that in Acts chapter 2. That as the early church met together, what did they do? They shared everything that they had with one another. They have needs. They met those needs within the church. One of the best ways that, uh, that an older couple can disciple a younger couple is bring them into their house. Let them see how a, a, an older couple love one another. Let the young couple be able to see what a godly relationship looks like. Let them see what it looks like, how you train your kids and raise them so that one day when they have kids, they know what it looks like to raise them in a godly way. Let them see you fight. You ever think about that? Oftentimes we always hide our fighting, but, but what if we actually let people see us fight, and what if we actually fought well for the purpose of loving one another and training others also? Next time you fight, you're going to be like, honey, we have to do this so we can train our kids. So don't use that as an excuse to fight. Um, 
But hospitality is a means of discipling other people. Like I, this is a, when we come to the New Testament, we see hospitality everywhere. We see it all throughout the Old Testament also. Look out for widows. Look out for orphans. Take care of them. We see about it all throughout the New Testament. In fact, when we get on into, I believe, chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, is talking about how we take care of widows and how we look after them. As a church, we're to be hospitable. As, a, as believers, individual households, we're to be hospitable. Hospitality ought to be the mark of every single believer, especially that of elders, but of every believer. In fact, I'm convinced that if we became, not just we, but the church in general, if we became more hospitable, we would see more disciples being made and more unbelievers coming to know Jesus because we'd simply be with them. That's one of the greatest things that we can do is just simply be with other believers, be with unbelievers, know one another, and share a life with them. So it's the general character there that we have. Next, we move into the home life. We have that in verses 4 and 5. It reads, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? The word rule means to supervise, or the rule uh, to manage means to rule, supervise, and care for. And he's to do this with dignity, meaning seriousness. Meaning he, the, the father, the elder, looks at his job as a father, and he takes it serious. He grows in his knowledge of a father, which means he's going to look at the father, so that he continually becomes more like the father, or heavenly father. Because he wants his children to understand what it is to obey authority as he submits to the authority of the Father. Um, now, when you read the words like submissive and rule, don't think tyrant. I think sometimes in, in our um, 21st century, we think submission, tyrant, <clears throat> or submission, rule, manage. Who is this elder in his house? What does it look like? Um, in Colossians chapter 3, and we could look at a lot of passages, but verse 21, it says, uh, Paul tells fathers, which Paul, the same writer of this letter, he says, do not provoke your children uh, lest they become discouraged. Fathers are not to be tyrants. They're not oppressing their households. Rather, they're loving their households. They're leading them to know Jesus, leading them to understand that they are born sinful, leading them to understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that there's only forgiveness of him and adoption to the family of God through him. And as we do this, as fathers, we do this, as elders, we do this, we reveal the loving care of our Heavenly Father to our children. And verse 5 tells us why it's important. If they cannot manage their house, how are they to manage God's house? I mean, that's a good logical point, right? If their house is chaotic, why would they think we should then bring them in as elders of a larger household they probably still have some growing to do there. Men, we must shepherd our houses before we become shepherds of the house of God. Um, what this means is that when we appoint a man to be elder, we need to look at his family. We need to probably talk to his wife. We need to talk to his kids. We can't just glaze over these, look from a distance, say they look fine, but we should talk to them. We should observe them. And we'll look at why we observe them more in the next point. Um, we want to know, how does the family respond to his godliness, his, God, his authority that he has within the family? How has he grown in maturity within his house? The elder cares for his family as Jesus cares for his church. 
So as we appoint elders here, we want to make sure that in a smaller scale with their family, that they're properly um, exercising their authority there. Number three, spiritual maturity. Verse six, we see that an elder must not be a recent convert. This means we're not to place a man into leadership position too quickly. What this means is we want to know, has he wrestled with his faith? Has he wrestled with suffering? Has he wrestled with sin in his own life? I mean, has he had, has he had a crisis of faith that he's had to go through? How, how has he, he gone through it? We want to make sure that there's fruit coming from his life. Is he displaying the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5? We want to see, is he becoming more loving, more patient, peaceful? Is he kind? Is he discipling others? I mean, as a church, our mission is to make disciples who make disciples. Really, that's the, every church's mission. We're not creative. We just took that from Matthew 28. We plagiarized, and we're okay with that. All right, that's about the only plagiarism we really like, but we want to make disciples who make disciples. If that's what the church should do, what should the leaders be doing of the church? Make disciples. So in order to do that, we're probably going to have to give the guy time to, to is he making disciples? Is he growing in his faith? How has he done this? We also, um, does he love the church? Does he love the church? The bride of Jesus. The one he's been made a part of. Paul says there's a danger if we put him in position too quickly. He says that he might be puffed up with conceit, meaning he's going to get prideful. And what that looks like, he's going to think, wow, look at me. I've only been a Christian few weeks, a few months, for one year, whatever it is, and I'm already farther along than all these other Christians. Wow, I'm just really good. Now that's a temptation, right? I mean, it's a real temptation. We can't just glaze over that. When we're looking at men to become elders, we, how long have they been Christians? Remember what the sin of Satan was? It's pride. He looked at himself and he said, I look pretty good. I look better than everyone else. I don't know why we're worshiping this God fella. Why don't we worship me? There's a temptation there. If we elevate someone too quickly, that they could fall into that same condemnation, which is what we read. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. What condemnation has the devil fallen into? The eternal wrath of God. So let's not, I mean, this isn't, oh, he might get his hand slapped. He might get a yellow card. I think one of my kids got that in a soccer game maybe yesterday. We're working on that. <laughs> but we want to make sure that they've grown in their faith. They've had time to mature. Because if we don't, there's at least two parties that are guilty. Number one, the one who becomes puffed up is guilty, Right? I mean, he became puffed up. It's his sin. We're all responsible for our own sin. But we as a church would also be guilty of appointing someone too quickly because we'd be breaking Scripture right here. So we have to be careful also that we don't become guilty of going against God's Word. Listen, we must be patient with men. We must let them grow into maturity. Elders don't grow like weeds. Elders grow like oak trees, slow and strong. And that is a good thing. Also, 
as we give them time to grow spiritually, what else are we doing? Remember what we skipped earlier? We're going to give the opportunity to see, do they have the ability to teach? I mean, how do we promote someone to elder, which they're told they must be able to teach if we don't know if they can teach? What we see is the distinguishing role of an elder is that they're to teach. If we go into verses 8 through 13, which describe that of a deacon, the, the qualifications are extremely similar. In fact, you can almost take those qualifications and just place them on as elders, and there wouldn't be a lot of difference. But there is one key difference. Elders are called to teach. In fact, if we went to the book of Titus, in chapter 1, verse 9, Paul, there he's instructing the church, saying, look, you need to appoint elders so there's not false teachers. He describes the character. It looks very similar to what we read right here. Then at the very end, verse 9, he says this, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Elders, they hold the word. They love the word. For two reasons, to instruct and to rebuke those who teach against it. If compromise is made here, disaster will surely come within a church. Think of it like this. Do you remember the old game Operation? Remember that one? The little buzzer. And Did you ever hit the buzzer? And you're like, oh, I didn't get the heart out. Ah, he died. Um, think of it. Would you let a doctor do heart surgery on you? And he said, yeah, I can do this. You see this game of operation? I've done this a hundred times. I never touched the buzzer. I'm good to go. Would you let that person do heart surgery on you? I hope not. If you would, then we need to talk, and we'll, we'll give you some other doctors. Or would you let a guy who performed the surgery says, yep, I've read about that. I can read it even. I can tell you how to do the surgery in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. I can tell you how to do that. You should let me do the surgery. And I mean, it seems like he's got great qualifications. He talks it all. And then he said, so how many times have you done it? Never. No. No, you can't do heart surgery. You have to practice. You have to be seen by others. You have to be dis uh, discipled in that. And so just as we would not let someone do that for a physical need, how much greater when spiritual life and death is on the line must we cling to? They need to know how to teach. Meaning they need to know God's word. It doesn't mean they know everything because no one knows everything. They need to know God's word and be growing in God's word and be able to teach it effectively. Next one, reputation. Look at verse 7. Elders must be well thought of by outsiders. I don't know if we always think about this one. Your reputation within the church is really important, right? I mean, we, we want to be known as loving and godly. We want to be humble. We want to serve one another. But if we're going to appoint an elder, and all we've done is talk to people within the church, we've missed something. We need to know, what's he like at work? Because have you ever heard of some people, they're one way with this crowd of people, and they're another way with another crowd of people? We want to know, what are they like? Do they have friends? How do they submit to authority there? Are they loving? How do they treat those underneath them? We want to know about their, like, what do their neighbors think of them? Do they know their neighbors? Do their neighbors have any idea who they are? What is their reputation? So this means that as elders, we can't be hermits. We must be in the world. 
This means we're going to have unbelieving friends. This means we don't walk around and take our Bibles and hit people over the head with them and say, you got to convert. Because we want people to have a proper understanding of who Jesus is. Did Jesus come and do that? No, if anything, he went to the religious leaders, the people who thought they knew it, and he spoke pretty harsh to them. But to the prostitutes, to those who were in grave sin, he went to and lovingly came alongside them and, and shared them the word of God that they would come to know Jesus. Also, Paul gives us a warning here. He says, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Listen, if you're growing in your walk right now, then Satan's going to attack you. In 1 Peter 5, it talks about Satan is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's his job. If you're not growing in your faith, then he's like, I really don't have much to do there. Elders, he wants to come at because not only are they actively trying to become more like Jesus, but they're actively looking at how to help others become more like Jesus. They're really just doing what we read in God's word about discipling others who disciple others. And so we, we need to know that elders are, that Satan wants to set attacks for us, wants to set snares within the church, outside the church. Um, unfortunately, it's too easy today to read in the news about elders who have been uh, sexually immoral, who have embezzled money, who have done things that have really tainted the name of Jesus in this world. Um, we have to be careful here. We have to be careful. Um, we need to know them within the church. We need to know them with outside the church. Um, so I want to go into application. Just walk through some different things um, that are implied here that we can apply because of this passage. Number one, elders are evidence that the gospel works. Evidence that the gospel works. I just want you to think, Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Paul's saying the gospel has the power to save anyone, whether it's, whether it's a Jew or a Greek, meaning not Jew. The gospel has the power to transform all into, uh, into the image of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came to die on a cross, that through his death and resurrection, that we believe in him and we would be saved and transformed. What does that look like? Well, it looks like what Paul went through. He killed Christians, attacked them, arrested them, to now writing half the New Testament, planting churches, discipling other believers. It looks like what's happening at Ephesus. Now think about this. Ephesus is full of idolaters. They worship a Diana, uh, the goddess Diana. They worship the, the um, goddess Artemis. They worshiped these, these goddesses. They're pagan idols everywhere. And so these pagan worshipers have now been transformed, and they actually meet these qualifications. So you, you got to get that in mind. This place was not already a godly place, and he's saying, hey, choose the godly ones among you. Everyone here hated God and worshiped false gods. And now Paul's saying, choose the ones who have been growing in their walk and are displaying these qualities. If you go to, to Titus, it's the same thing. Titus is in where? Do you remember the city? You remember? Crete. Where do we get Cretans from? You know that word, Cretan? From Crete. Because they were so horrific there. There were wicked people there. So we get the word Cretan because no one... Good comes from Crete. And in Crete, we have people who are be appointing 
elders, meaning the gospel has come forward into this city, transformed people into the image of Jesus, that they're growing and living more like Jesus. So the good news of the gospel is that it works. Evidence of that is the transformation that comes through the believer's life. The presence of elders within the church is evidence of how God transforms people from spiritual death to spiritual life. And when a church looks at its elders, they ought not to boast in the elders. It's not the point. But we boast in Christ for what he has done and is continuing to do because of what he's done at the cross. I look forward to the day when we know that we are seeing many men rise up within this church as elders. Look forward to that. We're in the process of, of trying to develop that, of grow that more and more. It, it's a process. Remember, elders, they grow like oak trees, not like weeds. We don't want weeds. We want oak trees. So it takes a while. We're in the process of doing that. I look forward to the day where we'll see men, many men, coming out of here and being elders here, but also I know some of you are military and you'll be moving to other areas where then you'll be also elders at those churches as well. Number two, um, elders love the gospel. Not only are they saved by the gospel, but they continually hold on to the gospel. They seek to be transformed by the gospel on a daily basis. Um, this is why we give these time men to demonstrate their growth, because we want to see that they continually love the gospel. Um, but in order for this to happen, an elder loves the word of God. We talked about that last week. The elder has to be able to teach. He has to be able to understand when he hears false doctrine and know how to, to counteract that, how, how to give truth in that. So an elder loves the word of God. I encourage all of you to be reading God's word. I'm not sure if we have them at the moment. If not, we'll make sure they're out there next week. We normally always have Bible plans out there on the ministry table. We love to give out Bible plans. They're simply a tool to help you figure out how are you going to be going through the, uh, God's word. We encourage you, read God's word. Read God's word with one another. I would love to read God's word with you. Um, we encourage the studying of God's word because it's through God's word we become more and more like Jesus. And so I encourage all of you to be doing that. Uh, number three, elders are a means in which God cares for his church. Again, we said this last week. Jesus didn't leave it to us to figure out church governance. He gave us the role as elders. Um, and his spirit appoints them as to be shepherds, Jesus loves the church. It's his body. It's his bride. And he loves to care for the church. He loves to take care of it. One way, not the only way, one way he does that is through giving elders who are to care, feed, and protect the church. They're a means of grace within the church. And don't misunderstand me. It feels weird kind of saying that as an elder. Elders are a means of grace within the church. It, it's like... It just seems kind of strange saying that in front of people. Um, but it's true, biblically, but it doesn't mean we're perfect. And never should an elder be placed on a pedestal as if he is perfect or, or as if he should be judged by different qualifications or, or if he is a different kind of Christian. But he's one who has been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and is simply with the church, helping lead the church. And we see this all throughout Scripture. Hasn't God used people all throughout Scripture to care for his people? Think of Moses. What did Moses do? He goes to Egypt, where he then eventually is used to bring the people of Israel out. Where what does he do? He largely shepherds them 
as they go through the wilderness. Joshua then takes the baton and he shepherds them into the promised land and to the conquering of other nations. David comes and what does he do? He leads the people into the conquering of nations that then Solomon would lead the people into a great time of prosperity. I mean, God largely has used um, men throughout the ages to shepherd, to guide, to lead, to care, to protect for his people. The prophets were then sent in the Old Testament to do what? To shepherd the people, to direct them back to God's word, to direct them to repentance, to direct them to godly living. And of course, Jesus comes as the ultimate shepherd, the good shepherd, who comes and guides us and leads us and cares for us and protects us. He now ascends to the right hand of the Father, where he has all authority and power. And with all that authority and power, he appoints elders now within the church to shepherd the church You see it? It's nothing new. In fact, we could go all the way back to the very beginning on how he has used elders, leaders, to guide, lead his people. So as we're in the New Testament, this isn't something necessarily new that God's doing. In fact, the word elder, it it was a great transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It was something that was very familiar already with the people of God. So remember, the presence of elders should encourage you that God loves you because he's caring for you through elders, but also other means. But they're a, a means of grace that you would know God does love you. Uh, next one, elders are sheep also. Um, if you go through this list, there's really nothing too spectacular, is there? I mean, it doesn't say, and the elder shoots lasers from his eyes, which my kids would think would be really cool. I mean, if I read this list to my kids, they would be like, huh, Okay, isn't that what you tell us to be already? Be nice, be hospitable, be friendly, you know, level-headed, all those kind of things. Um, we're not shooting lasers through our eyes. Elders are sheep. We're sheep, we're sheep with the sheep. And so while we have qualifications that we're meeting, particularly to be elders, we're not different kind of Christian. So I, I definitely just... I want to make sure as we go through the series that we properly understand the role of elders that God has given, but I also want to make sure that we don't have an unhealthy understanding or a wrong perception or an exalting of any person um, within this church. The only one that we exalt and that we boast in is Jesus Christ. Uh, Let me just give a few texts. Uh, Think about these. These are directed to the church. Think about how similar they are to what we've just read. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, I have it here, um, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I mean, isn't that just fleshing out what we read for elder qualifications largely? I mean, largely it is. Look at this one. I mean, this one's, therefore be imitators of God. (laughs) He says that to the church. So let's not think that, well, we have the elders, and they really love God. Then we have the others, and they only kind of. No, we're all called to imitate God as his beloved children. So again, I read those to simply say, do not have an an elevated position of elders in the fact that we don't sin, we're perfect, or anything like that. We're simply used as a way to help lead, guide, and protect the church. But we're, we're still sheep, and we still need grace and we still need to repent. Um, All of us are being made into the image of Jesus Christ. 
All of us fall under 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one glory from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Spirit, who it, from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is you. This is me. This is what this list is about, really. It's simply just describing what it looks like to be to be changed degree by degree. And that's why. That's why, if you're a woman here, you can be praying, God, help me to be more hospitable. Help me to be more sober-minded. Help me to display these qualities here. As a man, as a man, you should be praying, God, help me to display these qualities, because. If you want to know what it looks like to go from one degree of glory to another, it looks, it looks like Jesus. And these qualities are what Jesus exhibited while he was here on earth. This leads us to our next point. Elders are called to reveal the character of Jesus within the church. Elders are men who love leading the charge of godliness within the church. That was, that was the problem in, in 1 Timothy There was ungodly leaders, and they were promoting ungodliness. And so in the letter, there's correction. There's rebuke. There's talking about um, what it is to live in a godly way. And so elders are there to lead the charge for godliness. When we appoint an elder, we must never compromise, therefore, on the qualifications. To compromise here is to to, to appoint men who are only kind of qualified is to deny the authority of Scripture, is to be foolish, with the bride of Jesus, and is to be willing to sacrifice sheep to wolves. We have to be careful here. And there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a weightiness here as we've been called to appoint elders. We cannot be flippant with that. God has given us his word that we can say, here's the word, here's the qualifications, this is what it looks like. So anytime an elder comes up, they already display this. We don't appoint people. This is what I've been guilty of in the past, not with elders, but with, um, um, when I was a youth pastor, I, I, I'd bring on some youth leaders, and they were a little rough around the edges, but I was like, man, I can work with this guy, and I know, I know that he's going to be good. And then three years later, he ends up leaving the church, and there was problems, and it's, we have to be very careful very careful. We want to continue to disciple people, but before we place them in position, we must know, have they walked in maturity? Are they leading in godliness? A Scottish Puritan pastor put it like this, the greatest need of my church is my personal holiness. So I put that quote on the bottom of your worship guide also because I think that's true. There's a lot of things I can do. There's a lot of things as elders that, that, that we can do. But the, only, the most important thing is that we grow in holiness, meaning in godliness, meaning become more like Jesus. The thing that we need to do as elders is to know God's word, to love Jesus and how he has died for us and saved us, that we become more like him. Because only as I become more like Jesus am I helpful to you. Only am I helpful then. And so the greatest need of us, the greatest need of, or the greatest need of the church um, for my position is personal holiness. And so that's where we always want to give weight to the knowing of God's word, the studying of God's word. Last one, elders perform a noble task. Don't forget verse 1. It's a good thing. Our, eld- our elders, our role is, um, as elders, our role is to help people live like Jesus. It's a gift, it's a privilege that we have that role to be able to do. Um, 
I encourage you as you are here today, um, if you're a man, I, I encourage you, be praying. Is God leading you to be an elder? Be praying about that. I would love to be able to talk to you about that. Love to be able to, to walk with you in that. Um, if you have any questions about that, I'd love to talk with you about that. Wives, women, I want, to pr- I want you to be praying for your husbands, for your sons. Sons, know that your moms are going to be praying this for you. Also, be praying this, that um, if you have a daughter, that one day she would marry, uh, if that's God's will, that she would marry a man and he would, live, he would look like this. Let this guide your prayers. Let this guide your prayer, men, let this guide your prayers. If you're saying, God, I want to grow more like you, let this be a list that you pray through. Wives, let this be a list that you pray for your husbands. Uh, husbands, wives, let it be a list that you pray for your kids and for one another in many ways. Let it instruct you in that way. God has not given it to us to figure out this role of elder. He has prescribed it for us here, and the good news is we're not always going to do it perfect. But he is our perfect elder. And he shepherds us perfectly all the time. And he cares for us and loves us. And the evidence of that always is coming back to the cross of Jesus Christ. Where we can see he held nothing back from us. Not even his own life. But that he would come and die and rise again. That we who believe in him would be promised to live with him forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you've given us this morning. We thank you for the position of elders and that really, God, we're called to simply point people back to your son, Jesus, who is the great elder. Father, I pray that as a church, we'd better understand this. I pray that as a church, we would grow in our love for the church through this series, through this teaching. Lord, I pray that we would be praying for our own selves, our own godliness on how we're living And be asking you to direct us, to encourage us, to lead us to repentance where necessary. That we would reveal your son Jesus in all aspects of our life. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for your spirit who has been given to us. That we know that these are not just big lofty goals. But they're what your spirit is working out in us right now. And so Father, we thank you that we can come with confidence to your word. Knowing that you are sufficient to strengthen us, to build us, that we might live forever with you. In your name, Jesus, amen.